Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Handtool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Do you feel that you've mastered the basics of hand tools? Are you looking for that book that will take you to the next level? Perhaps you're confused about the different styles of furniture that everyone else keeps referring to. Or maybe you're simply curious about what is arguably the most innovative period in American furniture making. Regardless of why you pick up the book, I believe that American Furniture of the 18th century is a book that will serve you well for years to come. At the time of publication, it cost $75, and I'd argue that it was well worth the asking price. Now, you will usually be able to pick it up for under $30 on the second-hand market. So join me on the show today as I go through the reasons why I believe this is a book that should be on your bookshelf. Before we begin, a note on the related episodes. This review is my opinion on the book. The following episode is Shannon Rogers and I discussing the book. And at the end of the interview with Shannon, he mentioned that he did a podcast about some aspects of the book after a woodworking in America where he met the author. I'm including that episode as well, So all in all, there's nearly two hours of content about this book and the discussions related to the time period. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed putting this together. So forgive me if I cop out a bit in the next week or so and only post a very quick episode on what's on my Christmas reading list this year. American Furniture is a book of three parts. This is clear even if you only read the blurb, which I think gives a nice synopsis of the book. Let's take a look. American furniture of the 18th century is prized for its historical and artistic value by museums and collectors, and as a benchmark in design and craftsmanship by modern-day furniture makers. In the first part of the book, Geoffrey Green chronicles the evolution of the design and construction of 18th century furniture, drawing on historical influences and the tastes of the period. In the second part, He explains and illustrates the techniques of the period furniture maker, including joinery and authentic construction, carving, turning and inlay, time-honored finishing methods and making working drawings. The final part examines 24 important original examples in detail for their design, construction and artistic merit. Written by a professional period furniture maker, This book is intended for anyone with an interest in 18th century furniture. For antiquarians, it will serve as a detailed guide to the furniture maker's methods. For cabinet makers of any period, it will be an essential reference on connoisseurship and historical methods. There's quite a lot of history to cover in this book. All in, the book spans from the Jacobean period, which began the 1700s, through the William and Mary style and the Queen Anne period, which was in vogue until about mid-century. Whereafter we see Chippendale, and a discussion of the corresponding Adam, Heppelwhite and Sheraton styles, before we close off with Federal, and a brief look at early American Empire. The variety in this time period is truly staggering. We're going from genuine Pilgrim-style furniture riven out of solid oak and decorated with Peter Philansby-style carving, through some of the most iconic furniture ever created, whether that was curved, turned, inlaid, or decorated. 
veneers to inlay, oak to mahogany and walnut, the change during this century is unbelievable. It's also why it's possible to get confused with all the different styles, and I like the way the author takes you through the periods in question, in detail. Each chapter covers what was happening in the world, so you have context of the developments in America. So for example, the influence of the opening of the trade routes to the Orient, and its links to ball and claw feet. Or, the excavation at Pompeii, and how this fueled a neoclassical furniture revival. These global influences are then brought down to the distinctly regional differences that existed between American cities, and you'll start accumulating knowledge of how to identify where a chair was made by looking for its characteristic variances. There are just over a hundred pages dedicated to the different periods, and within them you'll find detail on the construction techniques of the time. At a glance, that might sound simplistic, but the author deconstructs cases, tables, chairs, cupboards, period by period, and explains variations by region, decorative and finishing elements, and any other items of interest. So you're not just getting a simple description of how to build a form. As an example, in the section on Queen Anne chairs, you see pictures and an explanation of Connecticut side chairs, one from Boston, one from Philadelphia, which highlights how the chairs evolved from area to area and because they're from different time periods, over time. To add to these pictures, there are also exploded joinery diagrams of Philadelphia and New England chairs and compass chairs, which show you how the end product was constructed differently in different places. It's the type of detail you wouldn't get unless you went crawling around underneath furniture in a museum. And what I like about this book if you compare it to a museum book that is a purely pictographical record, is this book gives you the important details of what is going on inside the construction. Details that you'd be hard-pressed to work out without taking your x-ray goggles to the museum in question. Throughout the first third of the book, photographs of exemplars of each period and style are included, supplemented by clear diagrams. These pictures are in black and white, and it's possibly the only part of the book I can find fault with. I would have loved them in colour. But this is rectified somewhat in the last section, where there's some glorious colour photos of the 24 projects covered. The second part of the book covers techniques for making furniture. I believe this is comprehensive, but it should be considered a helicopter view of the period and the techniques in question. For example, you'll get some examples about planes and how they were used, as well as some information about cutting angles, textures and Basics like cutting direction. But to be frank, the author was never intending to fit into a few pages what others have written full books on. And yet in each section, you might find some gems. Or if it's an area you're unfamiliar with, enough of an overview to identify for you if this is an area you'd like to devote further study to. The construction explanations in the book are clearly the work of a furniture maker. They're clear, provide detailed information, abundant pictures, and good doses of practical tips. At the same time, this section differs from pure technique books, and that is also exploring regional differences in construction and across styles. So draw bottom construction as an example, ties into the first part of the book, where the evolution of draw construction techniques are covered. There are a few historical oddities in here, and I found a lot of them fun to read, 
When you get the book, jump straight to page 141 and discover the technique for pre-compressing constrained mortises and tenons. There's good coverage of the construction of ball and claw feet and cabriole legs. And as could be expected, it covers things like grain selection, the process for construction, regional variation, and different joinery techniques. I'm not sure you'll be able to execute some of these techniques after reading the book, but that's a skill and practice issue. You'll certainly want to. You'll certainly want to give it a go if you're anything like me. Surface ornamentation, turning and finishing, all the way from shellac to French polishing and japanning are covered. Again, good solid overviews of the topics in question. There's a really nice practical section that will assist you with designing your own pieces using photographs, even when you don't know many of the dimensions. It's a great read if you're looking to recreate a piece. The final part of the book covers off some projects in each style. I believe that these cover most, if not all, of the iconic pieces that you would look to recreate. William and Mary has a chest of drawers, dressing table, high chest of drawers, drop leaf gate leg table, and an armchair. Queen Anne has a chest of drawers, a flat top and a bonnet top high chest, dressing table, tea table, side chair, card table, and easy chair. Chippendale has a reverse serpentine chest of drawers, a Bombay chest of drawers, a slant front desk, a desk and bookcase, rectangular tea table, round tea table, drop leaf table, and an armchair. The Federal Period has a Heppel white sideboard, a Sheraton card table, and a shield back side chair. It's hard to do justice to the beauty of the pieces covered. I really believe there's inspiration for anyone in this section. And because each of these sections include full colour pictures, dimensions of the pieces, descriptions of the wood, and any special details, as well as an exploded diagram of all the elements used to construct the piece, I think you've got everything you need. By looking at this section, you'll understand what you're constructing, but more importantly, I think you'll get a very good idea of how you should go about it. Structural notes, historical information, related forms, all expand the versatility of this section. There are a few appendixes in the back, then a good solid glossary and index. So in conclusion, American Furniture of the 18th Century is 311 pages long and is written by Jeffrey P. Green. On the second-hand market, you should be able to pick it up for around $30. Because it's in a large coffee table book format, the book covers off a lot of information. And I was sometimes overwhelmed trying to process it and categorize it all in my head. I'd suggest that it's the kind of book that you will read and then reread as you progress through your woodworking career. You'll refer back to it when faced with a problem. But it's also the kind of book that you'll pick up a few times a decade and reread in front of the fire, wondering how you missed all those gems on previous readings. I believe it will keep pace with your growth in skills and provide a good starting point for any investigation into a particular form. It's possible that I could give this book separate rankings in terms of history, techniques and projects, but I think it's fairer to simply give it a top ranking in the category Good All-Round Books. This book is the benchmark against which I would evaluate future books dealing with different styles. As I run my eye over the bookshelf, 
it's easy to see how a book from the Shaker Encyclopedia to cottage furniture in South Africa, or the pine furniture of early New England to world furniture, could all be held up against this book and their quality judged accordingly. I'd heartily recommend you get a copy of it if you can find one at a decent price. So that's it for now, woodworms. Consider using a different historical style next time you're asked to build a piece for a friend and keep reading. If you've got any comments or suggestions, perhaps a book you'd like to suggest for future episodes or comment about the show, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. <music>